in a series called The One and Others, and it's uh, and all throughout the New Testament is this, this um, idea that we're not here just for ourselves. And it, throughout the New Testament, it's talking about um, like how do we as a church uh, treat each other? And so there's this list, and there's about 16 to 20 of these things called the one another's, and we've been talking about them. Uh, we've talked about encourage one another, pray for one another, uh, confess your sins to one another. Ooh, that's scary. Uh, you know, we've got all these different things. This morning, we're going to talk about love one another or love each other. That's why when you sat down, I had you say to look at the person next to you and say, I love you. Because for some of you, it was like the most, well, especially if you're talking to like a total stranger, it's very uncomfortable, right? Because, and, and, and we all have our ways of saying we love you. Some, you know, my, my dad, I love my dad. Uh, for years, I would end the phone call with, I love you. And he would be like, you know, like, because he's just, he's from a generation or a thing, you know, just like, it's just his thing. It's like a firm handshake is good enough. You don't want me to be telling you love me and hugging me and all this kind of stuff. So I do it more just to bu- bug him because that's what kids do. They bug their parents. And so, um, when Lisa and I were dating, we, we dated, started dating young, 16, 17 years old. And, um, we noticed that at that age, people say, like, you know, couples say they love each other too early. And so, um, so we devised this long list of things, like, like, okay, so first it starts out, um, I like you, okay? And that, oh man, I like you too, and that's all warm and fuzzy. And then after some time, then it's like, I, I like you a lot, then you'd graduate to, I care for you. Then I care for you deeply. Uh, it, it, women are such high maintenance. Anyway, um, and, so, uh, and so it just like kept going and going and going and going to do it. Finally, you say, you know, I, I love you. And, and, and it actually, because we dated for six years, it actually turned out really cool. Because I, I, we had something to look forward to. Now, I messed up. I forgot where we were on, like, the spectrum. So I'd say, man, I really like you a lot. And she's like, Dude, just three weeks ago, you cared deeply for me. I'm like, what? Where's the list? And so I, I go, oh, yes, no. Because you have to, you need, like, a peg or something, you know, that you can kind of keep going. Um, but, but finally, when I said, I love you, it was, like, a big deal. Like, I was, like, practically proposing. Like, it was a big deal to say, I love you. And she, she, and, you know, several years later, she said the same thing to me. And so, uh, but, but it's like, it's like this thing, like, like about saying I love you or whatever. I mean, I don't know if Blue's here, but Blue's real good at that. Like, Blue says, I love you, John, you know, and, and I'm like, man, like a young, a young man, like comfortable enough to do that, you know, but, but we're all in different things. And so when we look at the Bible and the Bible says specifically, clearly, consistently, we're to love each other. If you call yourself a Christian, you are trapped. You're stuck. You have to love me. Yes. Right? And I have to love you. But the thing is, we have to love each other. And so what does that look like in the church? What does it look like in the Bible? Well, I, I had 10 um, verses that are awesome. I, I, but we didn't have enough time. So I did uh, five verses. Go ahead and do this. That will blow your mind. Okay. There's actually six, because I, well, I thought I got rid of five, but I really got, only got rid of four. When you start looking at what the Bible's talking about when it says that we're to love each other, 
this stuff is, it's mind-boggling. Like, how, how are we supposed to do that with each other? Especially in a culture where we kind of are really kind of serving ourselves and going for the next thing, and we like this, and I don't like mayonnaise on this, but I do like that, and I don't like to wait in line. And I, like, ha, like, like, like that's the culture's pulling us that way, that it's all about you. It's all about you getting what you want, what you need, your hopes and dreams, and you got strength finders, and you got, oh, you're such a great person, and all this kind of stuff. That's, that's all on one side. And you've got the Bible that's pulling you another way going, it's not about you. I don't care what your strengths are. It's about others. It's about, right? Watch. Check out this first verse. Romans 13, 8. We'll go through these relatively quickly and then we'll get to this part that Jesus talks about. Let no debt remain outstanding. Now listen to this. Except the continuing debt to love one another. That's an incredible reality it's like it's like you can't pay off the debt no matter what i do this let me let, i come in and i you guys are here and i have all your cars washed and then uh, you leave and i have gift bags for everybody and i've made cookies i do all this kind of stuff and then my bill my love bill comes in the mail and I'm like, how much did I pay off? Nothing. It's a continuing debt of love that we have to one another. If we would just sit on this particular verse, I mean, really, it's amazing. It goes on. It says, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Jesus talked about this too. He said, man, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've just fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's it. To love God and to love people. You've done it. Next verse. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, I want you to see something because we're going to start to see some things begin to crystallize and begin to come apparent of what it means to love each other. What that kind of plays out in our day-to-day lives. This, this verse kind of touches on it. Listen. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, in other words, there's something about obedience to God that links us up with love for each other. Watch. It, we'll, this will become more, more and more clear. You've been obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. Ephesians 4.2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, we're starting to get a really disturbing picture of the requirement we have for each other in love. Humble, gentle, a continuing debt. We, we've purified ourselves by being obedient to the word. And now, now from that, there's going to be some type of resource of love. Fourth, fourth verse. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. We're going to touch on that a little bit later. It's a command. First John 4.11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, listen to this, this is incredible. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
Now all of a sudden there's a new, this new standard. You mean, you mean to tell me that if I love you and you love me, right? This isn't a Barney song. If, if, if we love each other, if we're like truly kind of a community of, of, of being completely humble and completely gentle, that God's love is made complete in us. Man, that's a big responsibility, isn't it? For the church. It says this. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. I don't, I don't f- even fully understand the theology behind that. That somehow by our loving each other, by our fervently loving each other, there are sins that are covered, covered up. I can, I can imagine in my mind, I could probably come up with some examples, but, but uh, Peter's stating this very firmly. It's really funny because the verse we're going to look at now, when we look back at the verses we were just reading, uh, the, uh, uh, most of them came from John and Peter, who were at the particular um, conversation we're going to go to now. Because for us to understand love, for us to understand God, like we saw in the video when the, when the service first started, the, the, the best way to understand God and his love is to understand Jesus. Jesus is the full representation of who God is in the flesh. And so for us to understand those things, to understand his love, understand his mercy, understand um, kind of his righteous indignation at some parts, we, we look to Jesus. Well, Jesus is, in this particular story we're going to read, or dialogue, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. And so you have to understand, for Jesus, he's been, he's been ministering for three years on earth, and now he's ready to turn over the keys of the kingdom, essentially, to these disciples who mess everything up, and he kind of has this last speech for them. This kind of last thing to say, look, you know, Man, I mean, imagine, imagine you know you're going to, imagine, it'd probably be a bad imagination, but if you just knew you were leaving somewhere, let's say on vacation for a month, and you had to turn the keys over to your kids uh, to, to manage the house, right? You'd go through everything. Okay, remember, if you smell gas, don't, you know, it's just like all this kind of stuff. This is Jesus leaving the keys, not to his house, but to the kingdom of God in, in, with his kids, now, what, what do you think would be the thing that would be on essentially God's mind when he's going he's to impart the Holy Spirit and he's going to go, go get them, right? This is what he's talking about. Now, now, what he says is unbelievable. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus talking, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, to the extent and the ability and the deep understanding of love that his heavenly father had for him, that's how he loves us, right? And then he says something really weird. Now remain in my love. That, that begs the question because I've been taught my whole life that you're always in God's love. God, you can't escape. How wide, how depth, you know, deep, all that. You know, God, you can't get away from God. God loves the sinner, right? We know this. God loves everybody. God loves you and he loves me. Like you can't get away from what? What could he possibly, isn't it impossible to not remain in his love? 
Well, now we're starting to get this idea that there's a connection between love as just kind of a, I love you, or, and love as a source of power. Now watch. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. That sounds like conditional love to me, right? Oh, so you'll love me if I obey all your commands. Well, that's, you know, imagine a marriage working like that. I'll love you if you do everything I tell you to do. Wait a minute. No, uh, anyway, right? Of course, that's, that's not love, right? So, so it must mean something else to remain in God's love. If I don't follow God's commands, he still loves me, but I'm not remaining in that love. Listen, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. See, Jesus is modeling the reason Jesus is able to love us, the reason he was able to go to the cross, the reason when we think of Jesus, we think of love is because he was obedient unto death. And so God's love, the love of the Heavenly Father was always flowing through him to the people around him. Let me put it this way. There was nothing stopping the flow of God's love through Jesus. Nothing was getting in the way. That's what it means to remain in God's love. See, I can't remain in sin and expect to have the love for my neighbor my love for my fellow Christian, my love for my boss, my love for my kids. I I can't remain in sin and expect this love to keep flowing because why? Sin brings forth death. And so as I remain in sin, I will continually be thinking more about myself. And as we saw that those two are incompatible. We love each other because we're thinking about each other. And so there's this connection between being able to love each other and walking in obedience to God's word. You see how that's beginning to develop? Now, now, now we get to this thing and we go, well, okay, great. So it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts and I can't possibly live up to that and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And listen to why Jesus brings this up in the first place. It's so freeing and so exciting. He says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He didn't do all the things that we think when God tells us not to do them, we think that it's a bummer and it's like, oh man, but you know, times have changed, all that. God puts those in place for our joy to be living the way God created us to live. It says about Jesus in Hebrews, it says he was anointed with the oil of joy. That's why when I see things with Jesus and and he's all solemn and his face is all drawn out it looks like he just like didn't get much sleep and he's like all upset and everything it's not the Jesus I know Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy it was through obedience to his heavenly father that he experienced that love and he was able to give that love out to all those around him he says this I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete and then he just drives it home in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, I want to make one more connection and then we'll kind of move on from this whole thing of obedience. When Jesus was obedient to the point of death, he did it because he loved us. 
Now, I want you to make that connection. He died because he loved us. We, we all know that. But when he wanted to lash out at somebody, when he wanted to be sarcastic, when he wanted to just go bump it, I'm just gonna, you know, what, he stopped himself because of his love for us. Jesus obeyed his heavenly father in everything because he loved us. And he knew he could not accomplish what he needed to accomplish if he was living in sin. This is this, it's the same thing for the bride of Christ. One of the most loving things we can do for each other is be obedient to our heavenly father. Because then there's nothing getting in the way of his source of love for you and I. See, you see how that works? I don't know if I'm making that point clear or not, but uh, there, there is a connection between obedience and love and the source of God's love through our obedience. We don't want anything getting in the way of that, okay? Then he goes on. He says, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And now we're starting to get to the practical part of what love looks like. Love looks like laying down your life for somebody else. And you go, well, man, how do, I, how do I do that? As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, there's a beautiful section of scripture talking about husbands and wives. And when it gets to the part about the husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the very example that Paul writes to that church in Ephesus is, lay down your life for your wife. It's the best way to show love. Is, is there a place in your life that needs to be laid down for someone else? Like husbands and wives, spouses. Is there a part of your life that your spouse is just dying for you to just let it go, lay it aside? You don't need to be right. Is there an issue that like keeps coming up where, you're, where it's like the most loving thing you can do is give up? Kids? With parents, is there just like, like, do you have to be right? Parents with kids, do you have to be right? Is, is there an issue that keeps coming up? In other words, love in our church starts in our homes. Is there that thing that you're just, you just don't want to give it up? You just don't want to lay it down because of, you're right or you have rights? This is the beginning of the work God wants to do in your life. You know Why? Because he wants his joy to be in you and for your joy to be made complete. And he knows when we hang on to those things. He knows when we try to be right. When, we, when, we, when that, 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 that same conversation, if you're a spouse, you know, there might be that one conversation. Every time it goes up, you know, you're just like, oh, here we go again. And God's just saying, let it go. Lay it down. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than he lay down his life for his friends. Is there an area you need to lay, lay down in your life that's just kind of got a grip on you? This is the beginning of healing there. And then, as though Jesus didn't say it enough, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Again, what kind of friend is that? I want a friend that's going to stick with me through thick and thin, and if I mess up, then, I, you know, but he says, oh, yeah, you'll be my friend if you do what I say. That's a weird, they're called boundaries, Jesus, and I've got them, okay? And I'm not going to be, no, right? right? We know it's something different. See, Jesus is trying to get us to understand 
that if we can let go of our own self-interest, our own personal interest, and we start thinking about each other, we start thinking about our kids, our wife, our neighbors, us, our small group, the kids we minister to in the, in, the, in the children's program. As we start to get out of ourselves and out of this idea that I'm in it for me, God's joy and his love begins to empower us to accomplish the very command that he's asking for. Matter of fact, we'll keep going. He says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Why? Because you're not asking for yourself anymore, right? You, you, all of a sudden, you're thinking about others, and you're like, God, would you help them with this issue? Would you help them with their car? Would you help them with that? And God's like, yeah, that's the, that's the heart I'm looking for. Now you've got my joy, you've got my love, and now you've got my will. I'm empowering this through you. That's, those are the kind of workers that God's looking for. And then he says this, this is my command, right? And then I did this thing again. Go, go to the one. Yeah, go to the next one. Yeah, like, I just love that. It slams that. You'll never forget that. Love each other, right? It's slamming. Okay, uh, that's the point. He's commanding us. Now, we're going to switch gears here because the thing is, it's a command. <laughs> if it's a command, it's probably hard, <laughs> right? I mean, God doesn't like command you to like, and you will breathe, you know, or you, you know, I, you know, whatever you do, eat, you know, never forget to eat. You know, it's I'm commanding you, take care of yourself, right? There's something about love that needs to be kind of command in, in, in the forefront of our minds all the time. You are going to miss it, is what Jesus is saying. Keep it in the forefront of your mind. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Now we say, as a church, as a family, um, Uncle Joe, who is probably at Thanksgiving, that is just annoying, right? Like, how do we practically do this? Because it's real easy to just say, love each other, love each other. But when it comes down to the thing and that person's in that cubicle, the one that's like two cubicles down and they hum, and you're like, if, oh, if, they, don't, if they don't stop, I'm, I swear I'm going to kill them. And they start humming and you're like, oh, or they smack their gum. I used to have a guy uh, in the cubicle next to me that would clip his fingernails. Oh, I just knew one of those things was going to go flying over the cubicle wall. I'm just like looking at it like by my desk, like, oh, it's going to happen anytime. It's going to launch a nail grenade onto my papers, right? It drove me crazy. Like, like how do we do it for that guy, nail guy, hummer guy? How do we do it with the guy, the neighbor that works on his motorcycle and is just like, rah, 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 and you're like, it's three in the morning, He's like, I know, but I work days, man. This is the only time I can work on my bike. Like, how do we do it for those guys? How do we do it in church? For the person who, the pastor, who's always talking about fingernails and all this kind of stuff. Like, like how, how, how do we do it? Now, here's the most encouraging thing of all. It's not complicated. See, what, what Paul does in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 it's called the love chapter, okay? And, and basically what he does is he, he kind of paints this unbelievable picture of how important love is. 
And, and he, he kind of sets it up like this. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, like, like if, I, if I can just, I mean, if I'm just up here and I know the Bible backwards and forwards, I can speak in tongues, I can interpret my own speaking in tongues. I mean, I just, I just got it going on with my mouth. I can talk, I can encourage, I can do all this stuff. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but it's not out of love, I don't have love, it's just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal is what the Bible says. And you start thinking, man, love's pretty important. Like, like, what if I gave the best sermon of my life, but it wasn't out of love? It was out of something else? God just says, great job, dude, you failed. You didn't do, it wasn't for the right motives. He, he goes on. He says, uh, if I have the gift of prophecy, would, that would be a cool gift to have. You'd be special, right? You'd think of yourself as pretty much you got it going on, gift of prophecy. And then it goes on. And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And I have faith to move mountains. Like that's you. But you don't have love. It says, I am nothing. I, Paul's setting up this thing like, he, he, I don't care about all of that. I care about why you're doing it. I care about, you want to bake cookies for someone, great. You bake cookies for someone in love to go, you know what, I'm just, God, I just don't want to be about myself. God honors that. And then he goes on and he says, if I give all my possessions to the poor and I turn over my body to the flames, essentially I'm martyred for Jesus, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. I mean, Paul is basically saying, I don't want you coming to church. I don't want your fake religion. I don't want you thinking that you're going to, unless you're obeying the commands of God and his love is coming down and the actions that are flowing out are from that source of love. It doesn't do any good. This, this Christmas, we're trying to come up with Christmas for a hundred families from, from our small church here. If we do it just to get our name in the newspaper or so we can go pat ourselves on the back and go, wow, that's great. God's not interested in it. But if we do it because we look out over the crowds and we, with compassion, we see them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we, we have this uh, deep need to try and help the poor. Then God's interested in those numbers. God's interested in what, in what we're doing. And see, that's, that's what it's all about. That's the kind of church we want to be. So then you go, well, wow, if it's so important that I can speak in, with tongues and I can deliver my body, I can give all my possessions and it doesn't mean anything for love, what's love? Like, it must be really hard. And so Paul just describes this, a very famous section of scripture. But we say it at, at weddings and stuff like all like majestic but it's so it's just obvious <laughs> it's obvious stuff like what's love well it's patient all right that makes sense you know if i can't be like impatient and loving at the same time okay it's kind what that's that i've never heard of such a thing being loving and kind wow Right? It doesn't, it's not boastful. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. Like it's, it's just normal stuff you'd expect out of love. And yet we have to be commanded to do it. Because it's hard sometimes. 
Let me read the list to you. I didn't, I didn't put it up uh, on the board, I don't think. Did I? No, okay. On the wall. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. Does not boast. And it's not proud. It's not rude. I mean, I mean, I mean as you start picturing yourself with these qualities, patient and kind, not boasting, not proud, you're not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ah, hold on. Yeah, let me get that, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Now, now, just, just let those kind of wash over you and picture yourself as a spouse in your house. If, if I think of myself in my kitchen with my kids and my wife and everything, and I'm patient and I'm kind and I'm not boastful and I'm not self-seeking and I'm not rude, what kind of person would I be? Like if you think of yourself in your cubicle or wherever you work, you know, maybe you, you're out on the road in your car, let's say, or you're dealing with customers and you're patient and kind and not self-seeking. If you keep no record of wrongs, not that client, right? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. See, really, it, it just kind of looks like what you'd expect. It's not a big mystery. And that's what makes the topic of love such a huge topic because it's like, well, where, how, how do I really, how do I, you know, how do I do that? How do I show my wife love? You already know how. How do I show my kids love? You already know how. Love shows up in the simplest of things. Love shows up when you let your sister ride shotgun, even after you called it. You just go, you know what? Fine. Love shows up when you make your bed for your mom, right? Love shows up when you're just about to, you got that thing, you're just waiting for that person to do it, and you go, you know what? I'm just going to back off. And I'm just going to let him go. Let him have it. Let him win. You, you win. I lose. You're smart. I'm stupid. You're attractive. I'm ugly. Whatever. Love shows up in these ways. Love shows up with knowing what type of coffee she likes. Or, I mean, it's not this great big thing. See, oftentimes when we think of love, the ultimate picture we have is Jesus on the cross, which is the picture we should have. Jesus died for our sins, but what qualified him to die was that day to day, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many, not just in death, but his life as a ransom for many. So let me ask you, what, 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 is it, what does it look like? What, what would love look like? I mean, it might look like something like volunteering for children's ministry, where it's just like, you know what? Fine, I'll do it, <laughs> right? It might, be, it might be getting involved in the team here. It might be in starting a small group at your house that has nothing to do with anybody here, but serves your community. See, it's, 
It could be anything. This is what makes it so wonderful. The list is not hard to understand. Patience. The other thing is, I'm sure this is not the end of the list. The idea what Paul's trying to get across, and this is why he said be humble and gentle all the time and, and bear with one another, is that the list is just what you'd expect the list of love to be. So, what do we do? Well, let me just give you a little hint. At the end of this chapter is this very uh, famous verse that says, uh, you know, love, uh, uh, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And that chapter ends right there. But when Paul was writing, there were no chapters or verses. He was just writing a letter. And, and, and so, he, so we kind of like read chapter 13 and go, ah, oh, and the greatest of these is love. You know, you may kiss the bride or however we kind of like close up that chapter typically. But there are two words that follow verse 14, uh, 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 chapter 14, verse 1. And in the NIV, which is what we typically use, it's not a great translation. The New American Standard has a better translation. It says this, pursue love. It's just two words, pursue love. And that particular Greek word, if you want to get all fancy, just means to hunt it down to persecute it, to go after it. So, so let, me just, let me just bear with me, if you will. You're in your house, and you want to watch a show, and someone else wants to sh- watch a show, and then this thing, and, the, you know, and you've got one end of the remote and the other end of the remote. I mean, it's going this whole thing. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you spot love somewhere. And it says, just give up the remote. What? Why you little, right? It's like, it's like, it's all around us. These opportunities are all around us. And we go, pursue it, go after it. What? Okay, you can do, you can watch the show. Again, is that the, it's like the lamest example in the world. And yet, when we find ourselves in the midst of it, and it's escalating, and it's going and going and going, we start to go, I'm right. And then we look under the couch, dust bunnies, And there's some love right there going, just let it go. 